0: Would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5. We'll be looking at a couple passages in this uh, portion of Scripture this morning. I'd like to read this for us as we begin. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. Who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for these stories from the life and ministry of Jesus. They were relevant then and they speak to us today with power and authority. And I pray that you would encourage us and challenge our hearts and teach us what it is that you want to say to us today as we look at this part of your word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is the last message in this series that we began four weeks ago that's called Walk Across the Room. And we began by asking the question, what if evangelism could be as easy as just taking a walk across the room to meet someone and engage in a conversation. We talked about uh, that first week how the single greatest gift that we could give to someone else is an introduction to the God who loves them, who created them, and who has a plan for their life. There's no gifts that's going to have a greater impact upon someone. If you're thinking about a gift that's going to last for eternity, this is it. In the second week, this letter D symbolized the challenge to us to live in 3D, developing friendships and discovering stories and discerning next steps in our relationships to help people move closer to Christ. And then the third week, we talked about the power of story, that God has a story, it's the gospel, it's the story of His Son who came and gave His life for us and loves us. And we need to be able to tell that story well. And secondly, we also have a story. If we've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have a story of the work He's done in our heart. We need to tell that well also. I want to thank those of you who took the time this week to send me your personal testimony, and you worked on that. You did that assignment, and you sent it, and you wanted me to take a look at it, and it was really encouraging to see how you have come to know Christ and what He's done in your life. And some of you have also emailed me to tell about encounters that you've had during this series, and that's really been encouraging. Maybe it was a thank you note you received from someone else, or uh, just what happened when you sent that thank you to the person who walked across the room for you. Or some of you have had opportunities to tell your story, and it's been great to hear. I had a situation like that, too. Remember a couple weeks ago I told you about a woman in our neighborhood, who had come to know Christ through the 40 Days of Purpose study. And then Gail and, and uh, Becky, I had followed up and met with her over the next few months until she moved out of the neighborhood. I saw her this last week, I ran into her, and I asked her how she was doing spiritually. And you know, she said, it's, it's really neat what God's done. She said, I'm now in a Bible study in my office group. There's four women that are getting together in this Bible study, so she's continuing to grow in a relationship that way. And she said, you know, I always wanted to write and thank Gail and Becky for what they did because that time was so significant in my life. But I just, I'm really bad at, you know, sitting down or taking the time as life gets busy. But I want them to know how much I appreciated what they did. And that all began with not a walk across the room, but a walk across the yard, if you will, or a walk across the street. Sometimes it's in the office that God uses us. Sometimes it's in our neighborhood or with a relationship that we have with someone through our children's activities or sports or things like that. Well, my question to you is, how do we maintain our passion to reach the lost, to reach those who have never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because this series on evangelism was not intended to be an event that, okay, we made it through those four weeks and now it's over. But no, this is to be a way of life, a way of looking at our relationships and friendships and the people around us. And I think that the only way we can maintain that kind of passion is through what I call grander vision living. That's the telescope today as a metaphor for that, for grander vision living. We need to see people like Jesus sees them. When I was a sophomore in college at Moorhead State University, many of you know I got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ as a ministry there. And one one day there was an upperclassman who was one of the student leaders in that ministry. He invited me to go to the top of the tallest building on campus that was about 15 stories high. And up there they had a lounge, and he just wanted to go up there and talk and spend some time praying. When we got up there uh, in that lounge area, you could see the whole campus down below. You could see the classrooms, I mean, the, the class buildings and the commons area, and you could see students walking around and going between classes. And he asked me, Rick, what do you see when you look out that window? I don't know, I I see students that are going back and forth from their classes or going to their dorm rooms and things like that. And then he read this passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 9, the passage that Dan read for us earlier. And it said that when he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Rob looked out that window and he asked me, How many of them know Jesus? How many of those students, going back and forth in their daily lives, have come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, that was a lesson that I never forgot. It taught me to look at people differently and to begin to see people through God's eyes, a God who has compassion on everyone, who desires all men and women to come into a relationship with Him. They just need someone to tell them the good news of what He has done. What we see throughout Jesus' ministry is that the priority for Jesus is people. It's always people. He's concerned about those that He comes in contact with And people need to be our priority too in our work and in our ministry. We see that in this example in Luke chapter five, where one day Jesus is standing by the Lake of Gennesaret—that's the Sea of Galilee. It's it's the same sea, just a different name. And he's there by the Sea of Galilee, and people have crowded around him to listen to him teach. And he begins to speak to the crowds that are there and then pretty soon more and more gather until it's a little hard for those in the back to hear. So what Jesus does is he asks some of the local fishermen if he can use one of their boats and he pushes out onto the water and then he speaks from the boat like a natural amphitheater to those who are on the shore. And all the while that he is teaching, you have these fishermen that are there. They've been working all night. And now they are cleaning their nets and they're mending them and they're getting them ready for the next day and it's a lot of work. I mean, these fishermen have to haul these nets in, they clean the fish, they get them out, they have to let those nets dry and then they have to fold them up and put them back in their boat and do it all over again that night. Fishing was hard work. Uh, These men are probably ready to go home and go to bed. I mean, they've been up all night and they're working now and they're probably ready to check out. But on this day, Jesus has a lesson for these fishermen. He asks them to put out into the deep water and let their nets down for a catch. Now, imagine that you are Simon Peter and you hear Jesus ask you to do this. And you've just been fishing all night. And you're thinking in your mind, you go, you know, I'm the professional here. What does this carpenter know about fishing? I mean, I'm the guy that goes out there and this is my work. And if you talk to a professional fisherman, they'll tell you that about 95 to 100% of the fish are in about 10% of the water. And you just need to know where to find them and what they're biting on that day or how you're going to catch them. And that's the way that you do it. What do you mean you're telling me to go out and let my nets down in the deep water? Simon is hesitant. But to his credit, he did it. And what happened? When they began to pull in their nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. He's pulling them in and there's there's more and more and more fish and they're trying to get these guys out of the net and into the boat and they're doing the best that they can and he's just overwhelmed by it. They've never had to catch a fish like this, they've never had to call in for reinforcements, and he's waving to his partners to come and join them. And so James and John come and they bring their boats and the fishermen begin to fill their boats as well. These weren't little boats. Boats at that time that fishermen used were about seven and a half feet wide and about 27 feet long. With so many fish, literally tons of fish that were in the boat, they began to sink. They had never seen anything like this before. Now, can you imagine what Peter might have been thinking at this time? Peter, the businessman, the fisherman, is thinking, Lord... You know, just once a month, if you would do this, I'd make you a full partner. I mean, we we could have a good thing going here, Jesus, if we just did it this way. But no, that's not what he thinks at all. Instead, what does Peter say? Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter recognized at that moment who Jesus is, and he called him Lord. He is the Lord of fish and of fishermen. He's the Lord of men and of nature. And Peter recognized and said, I am not worthy to follow you. You know, in reality, Peter's response, his humility and his recognition of his own sinfulness is what qualified him to be a disciple. It's really ironic, isn't it, that when we think we're qualified, or when we think we're good enough, you know, for God, hey, I got my life together, I can do this, I'm, I'm good enough, we're not qualified. It's only when we recognize that we aren't qualified and we admit our sin that we are ready for Him to use us in some way Jesus said to Simon don't be afraid from now on you will catch men and Peter and James and John brought their boats on shore and they left everything to follow Jesus you know what Jesus was saying to them that day he was saying that if you think that catching fish is exciting there's something even greater And it's catching men. They would never forget that catch of fish. But Jesus is saying, you know what? It's not about catching those little six-inch fish or foot-long fish. The real joy is found in catching those six-footers, in bringing men and women into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The way this reads literally in Greek is Jesus said to him, Don't be afraid from now on, men, you will be taking alive. You will be catching men for life. Pastor Kent Hughes wrote about that. He said, catching men for life. What a glorious description that is of gospel ministry. And then he went on to tell this story. Kent Hughes said our family had a particularly joyous experience of this some years ago when our daughter Holly began kindergarten. We were delighted when she became one of Mrs. Smith's kindergartners. Susie Smith was known as the best. She was a tall woman in her mid-thirties who was unusually graced as a teacher. She brimmed with joyous enthusiasm about life and teaching. She loved her students. Her smile and warm cheer of her voice soothed the anxieties of students and parents alike. This winsomeness, along with her wholesome enthusiasm and creativity, made her a master teacher. And our shy little Holly loved Mrs. Smith. As Holly, nurturing soul that she was even then, walked home from school or tended her menagerie of a parrot, a cockatiel, a white rat, and some turtles, she often thought of Mrs. Smith and how nice it would be if she would come to church, and especially if she would come to know Jesus. So every Friday, Holly's guileless, big brown eyes engaged Mrs. Smith as she asked, Mrs. Smith, will you come to church this Sunday? And every Friday, Mrs. Smith answered, well, maybe. And this was followed every Monday, as Susie Smith tells it, by our disappointed daughter saying, Mrs. Smith, you didn't come. At last it simply became too much for Holly's poor teacher to face, so she promised to come to church. And Susie Smith did come to church, and she came again and again and again, for she had a deep, unrequited spiritual need that was only met when she came to faith in Jesus Christ. She was caught alive. And Susie became a good friend and a vibrant Christian, bringing her vitality to the work of Christ. Today, Susie Smith is confined to a wheelchair by MS. But she still flashes that same sparkle because over 20 years ago, she was caught alive for Christ. You see, I share that story to show that anyone can do this. Even a young child. Sometimes children do it best. They're uninhibited in terms of inviting somebody to come to church or come to this meeting, or whether it's a, a WANA or a youth group or something like that. You see, we aren't all called to be pastors and evangelists as a vocation, but we all can be fishers and men. If we will see people as Jesus sees them, the priority is people. And secondly, the focus is on potential, on seeing what those individuals can become in Jesus Christ. You know, if you think about the men whom Jesus called to be his disciples, they were really a pretty rough group, weren't they? I mean, you had Peter, the fisherman, who was loud and outspoken and often put his foot in his mouth. You had James and John, sons of thunder, How do you think they got that nickname? I mean, I don't think that was being quiet and mild. I think those guys were probably pretty loud and boisterous to get that reputation. You had Simon the Zealot, who was a revolutionary who wanted to overthrow the government. Maybe he's a little bit like your anarchist friend. And he was in that group of disciples. You had Thomas the Doubter. The skeptic in the crowd, the guy who was always asking questions. And I don't I'm not so sure about that. I don't really believe that. You think that's the way it is? And oh yes, you had Matthew the tax collector. An IRS man? And the twelve disciples? We read about his calling at the end of chapter five and verse twenty seven. It said, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Levi and Matthew are the same person, just a different name, just like Peter was often called Simon. Matthew was sometimes called Levi. And he was sitting at his tax booth and Jesus said, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Now, remember how the Jewish people at that time felt about tax collectors? I mean, these guys were the lowest of the low. They were scum. They cooperated with Rome. They collaborated with them. They were in it for financial gain. Now, I I wonder how Peter and James and John felt when Jesus called Levi. I mean, they might be, you know, thinking, I mean, I can understand why Jesus called us, but why would he call him? And did they get along at first? Did these guys really like each other? When you think about this collection of people that God brought together that was going to change the world ultimately, were they all friends at first? Or did it take some work to get them to live and work together in unity? You see, Jesus looked past the sin and the stereotypes and He saw the potential in them. If they would follow Him, they would never be the same again. He looked past the self-centeredness and He saw the potential for service. He looked past the rebelliousness and He saw the potential for righteousness. He looked past the quick temper and He saw the potential for peacemaking. And aren't you glad that Jesus looked past the sin in us and saw what we could become in Christ I sure am. And you know, I can't wait until heaven when that process is finally completed and we are who we were made to be with all of the sin and the dross removed. And we're the person that God created us to be in Christ. You see, the point is that everyone needs some shaping and refining when they come to Christ. That's why the Bible says that we need to become a new creation. And if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old has passed away and new has come. There's a break with the old. There's a change that takes place in our life. And we continue to grow in this life as we walk with God in holiness and righteousness and Christ-likeness. We need to see the potential in others too. And what did following Jesus mean for Matthew? Matthew that day walked away from his business, his income, his identity as a tax collector. What else did it mean? Well, Matthew began to look at people differently. People became a priority for him. And he wanted his friends to meet Jesus too. So Matthew did something about it. Matthew threw a party and he invited his new friends and his old friends to come. We see that in verse 29. It said, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to the sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Here Matthew has invited all of his friends a great banquet and feast to celebrate what Jesus has done in his life, and he wants his friends to meet him too. And they just didn't get it, did they? They kind of had their noses up in the air, and they thought that Jesus shouldn't associate with people like these. And Jesus answered them and said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew was a new disciple. He hadn't gone through an evangelism 101 course. He just wanted his friends to know Jesus. And Matthew thought it would be great if some of his old tax-collecting buddies could meet and rub shoulders with his new friends and meet Jesus. Have you ever thought about having a party as a wonderful way to do evangelism? Some of you are going to go, All right, I can get into this. I can have a party to introduce my friends to Christ. You know, I love basketball. It's my favorite sport to watch, and especially uh, March Madness. College basketball, Final Four tournament, and every year for many years in our neighborhood, I've had a party. I haven't called it a Matthew party. That's kind of what it is, but I have a party. Or I invite people to come over and watch a championship game. And I've invited some guys from church, and I've invited some guys from my neighborhood. To just come who enjoy basketball, and we have a chance to talk, and we eat some food, and we uh, sit around together, and it's just all about building relationships. About getting to know others. Have you ever thought of doing something like that? Some of you have. You've hosted a Christmas gathering. Uh, You've had a big game party. (laughs) The NFL protects that as a copyright. And so uh, you have a a championship game party or you have a block party or you have a movie night or a video game tournament. Some uh, students last year had a Madden tournament uh, playing football. Uh, That's great. Those are the kind of ideas that I'm talking about. And that's what all of us, I'd like to... to have us consider doing that. For women in our church, it might be a sports theme, but it might be around a craft you enjoy or cooking or stamping or scrapbooking or gardening or whatever activity that it is that you enjoy doing. My question to you is, would you be willing to host a Matthew party between now and the end of the year? Would you be willing to do that, to think about who you could invite from your neighborhood or your office, a few of your friends who don't know Christ to meet a few of your friends who do. Here's what I'd ask you to do. The time isn't as important as just doing it. And I'd encourage you to keep it simple. It doesn't need to be elaborate or expensive. Do what makes sense for you. You know, whatever you enjoy, whatever's a hobby or interest you have, you can invite somebody else to join you in that. Third, keep the ratio right. don't have it be all Christians and one seeker or skeptic because they're going to feel kind of overwhelmed or ganged up on. Have a good mix of seekers and Christian friends to make them feel comfortable. And fourth, pray. Pray for your friends. Ask the Lord what you should do. Final word, and I never thought I'd have a slide like this as my last point, but it's time to party. It's time to have a party and do that and think about a way that you can introduce others to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and the example of Matthew here who simply had a party to introduce his friends to Jesus. And what a wonderful idea that is. Lord, may we be so bold. To reach out and to love our friends and those that you've brought into our life in a way that they might see Jesus Christ living in us. And Lord, I'm looking forward to hearing the stories of what you're going to do as we trust you and step out in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.